Please welcome to the stage Ben Lamb and Daryl Etherington. Hello. All right, Ben. Austin native? Austin native. Amazing. I've, this is my first time here, but yeah, I did buy you, the shirt the Yeah, shirt you, here. you do dress the part better. So I'm really trying to fit in as well. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> uh, so we saw that video, got a great sizzle reel. It's a little out of date. There's some additional animals, I think, that aren't even yeah. mentioned in there. We're going to make a new one. You know, we, the, the mammoth didn't quite make SNL like the dodo, so right. as uh, we're, we're working on a new sizzle reel. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, like the, this is audacious. You yourself are an audacious person, I would say. You founded a lot of different companies. Is that based on our podcast last week? Based on our podcast, based on just seeing your name over the years associated with a lot of different things in a lot of different worlds. Uh, last time, I think we spoke before our podcast was recorded. Thank you, by the way. That's a plug. If you listen yeah. to the- If you listen to the Found podcast. Found podcast. Yeah, it's coming. I week. think we can use about 30% of it. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, it was hyperspectral, hyper and you were doing you know, space and defense stuff there. Um, but now you're doing woolly mammoths and dodos. And uh, what's the word again? Because I always want to say the- extinction. No, 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 the other animal. The other oh, animal. oh, the thylacine. The thylacine. Yeah, the or Tasmanian tiger, whatever. Right. How you float. So de-extinction overall. So how did you get from there to here? Uh, it was a complete accident. So uh, George Church, who's arguably the father of synthetic biology, uh, you know, he, he invented a lot of the technologies around read, write, and editing, um, you know, and, and definitely kind of pioneered synthetic biology, actually engineering genomes. Um, I called him, just, I actually just cold call him, uh, to talk to him about could we use software uh, and AI and automation to actually create a platform to make it easier for bench scientists to get to discoveries faster, mm -hmm. right? Because all the, the biology software we saw was pretty bad, my background mostly being in software. And um, I called him, and I'm weirdly curious. So uh, I was like, what else are you working on? He started talking about like how he's like making neurons, like regenerating neurons. He's working on stuff to combat climate change. And then, uh, you know, he did this like weird Steve Jobs one last thing where he's like, oh, it, like, it's like the last 10 minutes of the, or like two minutes of the call. He's like, I'm also working to bring back woolly mammoths uh, to put them back into the Arctic uh, to help replenish the biodiversity there. Um, and I've got to go to my next meeting, goodbye. And so I was, I was like absolutely shocked because this was like the greatest, one of the greatest minds in the world, arguably one of the smartest people on the planet. And uh, he dropped it, I'm gonna bring back extinct animals, I got to go plug. Yeah. And so um, I stayed up all night, watched all these videos and read all these interviews with George. And regardless of who he was talking to, whether it was 60 Minutes or you guys or someone else, there was always this through line of the mammoth. Mm. And it was very clear that when he started talking about it, his voice changed and he was just massively excited about it. Yeah. And uh, so a week and a half later, I was in his lab. Uh, we both missed all of our meetings that day. And I was like, okay, great. I got to go figure out how to build a de-extinction company. Wow. So, but like, what is it? that to you, you saw an opportunity like this is good for the world. Because it's cool, yeah. it's undeniably cool, and I think everybody, there's various reactions, but one yeah. of the most common reactions I see. Generally when, positive. Generally positive, yeah. right. But when we talk about this to people, or we write articles about it, you just hear like, that's great, like, yeah, yeah. do it, why not? But there is also the why. Why is yeah, the question. What's crazy is a lot of people don't know this, but we're gonna lose up to 50% of all biodiversity between now and 2050 if we don't do anything. Like, the, a lot of people are talking about carbon sequestration, a lot of people are talking about methane suppression. People are, you know, I think we've gotten over the hump that the general public 
believes in man-made climate change, yeah. uh, but loss of biodiversity and ecosystem collapse is something that not enough people are talking about. And you know, I don't think of Colossal as a insurance policy, but I think that if we can develop incredible technologies to help bring back keystone extinct species while developing technologies that have applications to human healthcare, we're kind of building this de-extinction toolkit that other conservation groups can use mm. to help preserve uh, existing biodiversity. And so all of the technologies that Colossal makes uh, that have an application to conservation are free. Oh. So, we wanna, so we're working with a lot of really great nonprofits and they get access to all of our technologies for free because okay. we, we think that there's a lot of really great opportunities to monetize the business and we just don't think that uh, monetizing conservation is really that important. So what about, uh, you mentioned keystone species. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Like what, how yeah, so uh, in, in an ecosystem, I think one of the kind of most notable examples of rewilding of a keystone species, so putting a keystone species back into the environment that was removed, uh, I think a lot of people, especially in the U US, like know the story of, of wolves in Yellowstone. So wolves were called from uh, Yellowstone in uh, 1925. Mm -hmm. uh, 70 years later, mm -hmm. they reintroduced this keystone species, which is this uh, animal that is required and it's, it's absolutely critical, or a keystone, for that environment and for that environment to thrive. And so uh, they reintroduced them back in 1995, and ever since, the park has uh, really, really flourished. Like the right populations of the herding animals, right migration of the herding animals, songbirds, uh, beavers, all these other different animals have come back to the park by reintroducing this keystone species. Oh, great. So that's like, uh, uh, basically, it's just like the linchpin for the, for the local ecosystem. Or yeah, it's for, it's for that ecosystem. And, and mankind has typically had a, uh, a, history of going into environments, finding the biggest, slowest keystone species, and murdering it. Right, so, yeah. right. So that maybe brings us to some of the other species you're working on. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about, about how, what was your selection process? Like, were you just looking around and thinking, like, what's the funniest looking animal that we can bring back, or was yeah. there more? To no, no, there, there, there was a reasonable amount of thought in it. Uh, we wanted to bring back species that, one, people wanted to bring back, species where mankind had a role or sole role in their, in their uh, extinction, and ones that were actually possible to do, right? So there, there's other species that we're really excited about, like the stellar sea cow, which was there's been some really interesting uh, scientific papers come out that show the importance that it had on the kelp forests of the Pacific Northwest, but there's nothing that we can gestate it in. Their surrogacy just isn't an option okay. until we get ex utero development working. We really can't, there's certain species we can't go after. So, you know, making sure that we could actually do it was, was critical. And then we leaned heavily on our scientific advisors um, and, and folks that worked with the company. So we had this goal of like, what can we do? Uh, what should we do and why should we do it? Did, you know, like we eradicated the dodo, we eradicated the thylacine. Uh, lots of papers suggest that early man had a, a hand in the de-extinction of, or the extinction of the, of, of, of uh, Colombian and, and northern mammoths. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and Beth Shapiro, who's one of our scientific advisors in lead paleogeneticist, you know, she introduced us to Andrew Pass, who'd been working, similar to George's story, had been working on a shoestring budget for 15 years mm. on the thylacine, uh, and you know it was kind of the next great species to work on. Right. And then she just also happened to have the dodo genome that she would worked on for 20 years. So it was kind of a linear progression. So if you aren't happy, Beth may be a good person to call. So yeah, I think with this came up on the on the podcast, but like it's kind of like you're you're so you're crowdsourcing ideas, kind of like you're going to who who has built like the existing extant information that can actually make the thing possible. Well, not all not all that even exists. Right. So right. like reference genomes for some of these species, like coming from software, I just assumed that there was just some you know magic database with 
every single, with like all life on Earth, like backed up on Google, right? Like, sure. why didn't Google do this? <laughs> and, um, it, it, and so like, in, because if you look at the rates at which prices have come down on sequencing, you know, we're spending anywhere from, you know, six to 10,000 for birds to build reference genomes, uh, upwards of like 25,000 to build reference genome. That's something that's highly doable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, that's something that like corporations should fund. And, and there's lots of really great nonprofits out there, like the Vertebrae Genome Project that, that we support and, and so, like, before we can did, even work on the ancient DNA, we had to build reference genomes for the, you know, existing species. Sure. Because that still doesn't exist. And yeah. that, that money just needs to go into it. That's a form of genetic rescue and conservation that no one's really focused on. Right. And I think we've heard a lot about seed catalogs, but not really so much on the animals. Yeah. We, I, I, yeah. There, I mean, there's great places. Like, San Diego's done a great job with the frozen zoo and others. But, you know, that's one place, right? We, we kind of need this distributed. We also need to ensure that... We're actually backing up the, not just the cell lines and the materials, but we're actually spending the money on the sequencing as well. Hmm. Okay. So, but take me through when you're building out an animal's, an extinct animal's genome. Does it mean that when you, when you do create that animal again, is it identical genetically to the past animal, or is it an approximation, or what's yeah, going so, on there? So we want to create proxy species. So what we define as success is a species that essentially can replace the ecological void that was created from its absence, number one, and that's our primary goal. And secondary, we do want to, de we're de-extincting the core genes that make up those core phenotypes or physical attributes of it, right? So if we make a cold tolerant elephant that doesn't really look like a mammoth, we don't know if that's a win. If we make a, an elephant that looks like a mammoth by de-extincting it, but it's not cold tolerant and, and it can go, you know, skiing, well then <laughs> that didn't win either. And so, so for us, like, you really have to do both. And so we aren't trying to create clones. Yeah. We're not trying, like in the case of the mammoth, it would be, you know, over a million edits to like make a, even though an Asian elephant's 99.6% of mammoth genetically, uh, it's actually close to related to a, a to an Asian elephant's close related to a mammoth than it even is to an African elephant, which wow. blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's interesting though, is that we'd have to make million, uh, over a million edits. We're just targeting about 65 genes that kind of represent the cold tolerance that and, and the, the core phenotypes that we're looking for. Okay. So back to what you're talking about, like keystone species, like basically yeah. something that can occupy that spot in the ecosystem, but right. is not necessarily exactly that animal. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think that if, at some point from a scientific perspective, if some other company wants to go through the pursuit of getting to 100%, that's probably interesting, but it's not something that we're focused on. Not necessary. Yeah. So this I think that'd be today impossible from a technology perspective, yeah. and I think it'd also at some point be very costly. This brings me to my dumbest question, so you're gonna have to forgive me this. But can you then make, like, Pokemon? Like, can you just make a real Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> So we live in a world right now of uh, <laughs> thoughtful answer. Um, we live in a world of, of, of genetic reconciliation where we're combining genomes to ensure uh, that those de-extincted genes are back uh, to, to produce the phenotypes or physical attributes we're looking for. Um, you know, we aren't going to ever focus on Pokemon. That's not on our roadmap. Uh, but but um, from a synthetic biology perspective, I really think at some point, uh, humanity now uh, has the power and at, at some point will have the ability to uh, engineer a, a lot of ad adaptations. I think rather than engineering Pokemon, it's probably more interesting to make like coral, you know, uh, uh, heat tolerant and salinity right. tolerant, right? So I think, I think there's bigger issues, like maybe after we solve all of the, you know, man-made climate change issues, we can start getting weird, but. Oh, okay, um, so it won't be long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
we have a small problem that we should <laughs> fix before we eradicate ourselves. Uh -huh. But once once we do that, then sure, Pokemon <laughs> may be on the table for somebody. Okay. Just probably not us. <laughs> yeah, I'll apologize again for that. So. <laughs> it's a reasonable question. It's not the weirdest question we've asked today. <laughs> what is the weirdest question? I, I can't. Uh, ask, we get asked a lot about Neanderthals, which is. A, oh really? Yeah. So it gets. Okay. Yeah, we got asked about like 20 minutes ago. Huh. Um, so I, I do want to get back just kind of like to uh, the business and maybe just how, how do you envision it like when it's successful, like what does it look like? Like how is it operating? What do you imagine would be kind of the revenue? What are you doing on a daily basis? How many species are you working on? Can you give us a kind yeah, of Yeah, so, so right now uh, we're working on three species, mm -hmm. uh, the mammoth, the thylacine, uh, and the dodo. Uh, we are exploring other opportunities, right? Like, obviously, we've done some research on the stellar sea cow. Yep. Uh, we've done some other uh, research on kind of some Americana species that have gone extinct and whatnot. Um, you know, so we, so we are kind of doing early computational biology explorations, but, you know, one species is pretty hard, and we're working on three, with one of them being avian. Yeah. Which is diff very different. Which yeah, you very, explained yeah, to me, yeah, and I didn't yeah. even think about, like, oh, okay, yeah, mammalian to avian. It's totally different. I mean, parts of it are a lot easier, right? Like eggs are self-contained and much easier than right. ex-uter development or working with surrogates. Um, and so there are parts of the project of that project that are, that are pretty interesting. And, you know, we've shown early, you know, when you look at what we're doing, it's a systems problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times in science or when you're working on a project, you work on like one solution. You, it's in science, they'll work on a series of problems. They'll find one problem. They'll write a series of papers around that core problem. And that can be really valuable to humanity. It can be interesting economically for investors. But fundamentally, uh, we, we have to look at uh, de-extinction as a system problem. So when you do that, you start to see a lot of different problems in areas of some invention, but a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. and, and so we look to monetize all the technologies that come from it. So very similar to like the Apollo program, which was actually a right. shot. And it works. So it's like, that, that worked. Maybe we're in good shape. And so, um, so if we are on that same path, then I think we can develop technologies for software, wetware, and hardware that have applications to human healthcare. And we did that last year. So we spun out our first technology company and raised an oversubscribed round around SAI, given the background. Like form software, Bio, yeah. right? Form Bio. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, so that is like a sort of example of what you would imagine as you progress, more things yeah. like that. More things like that. You know, I, I think that um, we've got a couple of really interesting uh, models for how we're inserting large cargoes of DNA into mammalian genomes and also doing multiplex editing. And, and so we, we've got these uh, uh, tools that we're developing also in the lab bench that have huge applications to what we're working on at Colossal, but could have ap huge applications to, uh, you know, biotechs and other, you know, drug discovery companies as well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the other question, like this, what you're talking about reminds me actually of another conversation I had with uh, Ugar Sahim, the founder of Biontech, right? Like he said they're same, they, they were also taking a systems approach, yeah. which is very different. A lot of biotech companies you see are tackling that one specific yeah. therapy or something like that, and then they just get bought up by Yeah, Pfizer. that's one of the things that when we raised capital was interesting. Uh, we had to, like, you know, we, you talk to certain folks, they got real, real excited about the business, then you talked about traditional biotech investors, like, but when does the mammoth go through phase one clinical trial? Right, right. It doesn't go through phase one clinical trial. <laughs> and so it's like, so it's interesting, you know, it, it's a different kind of paradigm than what a lot of things that are out there that, that people have, have funded, and so we had to really be thoughtful about who to, who to bring in. But I think that looking at hard, I think that 
a lot of biotechs and other drug discovery companies should really focus on those point solutions because I think those are really helpful like what we saw in COVID. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if we can look at, at systems and platforms that we can apply, I think we can solve uh, or give better tools to much smarter people than go work on them. Yeah, and you, so you just brought up some of your investors. So what does that look like for you? Um, how did you pick the folks you picked? I know you've got Thomas Tull from Legendary in there. Uh, a lot of yeah. big names. So I, we, we really, they're not traditional investors. You're not a traditional investment, right? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think we're a new category. So <laughs> we're a one of one category to our knowledge. I don't know if that means we're a category. But the, um, you know, we were very, very thoughtful on, on the approach, right? And so we wanted uh, really thoughtful, long-term investors that had a, a, a deep bench in, in technology. So like a lot of people don't, a lot of people know Thomas from his, uh, uh, you know, uh, stand at creating and being the CEO of Legendary Pictures, right? But most people don't realize that Legendary Pictures is actually a tech company. And so mm -hmm. one of the reasons why it was so successful and had so many blockbusters was because they used this whole, they had an entire technology suite that they used to kind of pick and vet movies, right? Which is really interesting. Yeah. And now he's got USIT, which is, you know, one of the US's biggest technology and, and defense innovation funds. And so, um, so having folks like him, having folks like uh, the Briars, Tim Draper, and some of the others, you know, we're, we really wanted thoughtful, long-term technology investors that, that wouldn't push us to monetize, that would really allow us to kind of the freedom to get the science right, look for opportunities. Um, and, and some of those opportunities, like FormBio came out uh, significantly faster than we anticipated. Mm -hmm. But you've also got like some flashy, you got celebrity investors, right? So we, we do have some pop culture investors. Like we definitely, like, like you saw a little bit of the demo reel, we, um, you know, we've, we've garnered over 50 billion media impressions yeah, yeah. Uh, with 98% positive neutral feedback, uh, which I think is amazing given today's world, sure. um, uh, especially today's world. Um, and so, uh, so I think we've definitely struck the nerve uh, and kind of like the, and kind of hit into the kind of cultural zeitgeist of society. And so, uh, so we have attracted some pop culture icons to it, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it makes it more relatable. Um, all of them are very conservation focused, right? Yeah. And so like Paris is a, a big conservationist. Luke Hemsworth has kind of helped lead the charge of reintroducing, uh, Luke and Chris have both led the charge of reintroducing um, uh, Tasmanian devils back without the facial tu uh, tumor disease back into their native ha into mm. their uh, southern Australian native habitat as well. So uh, we, we've been pretty thoughtful about it in terms of like who comes to the table. But anytime you can also get some of those folks from a brand voice perspective that are really lenient and excited about not just the business but the conservation angles, uh, it, it's been pretty helpful. Yeah, but that kind of ties into the question I have about like why why you specifically are doing are the person to I, do this. I, 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 I don't know if that's the. I don't know if the, I have. I mean, you don't know if you are. Yet to see an extinct animal, right. so I don't know if I am the person to do this. Well, I think time will tell if I was. But why did you think you probably could, or that you should take a shot at it? Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, my where I've been successful in my technology and investing career has really been in, in identifying and recruiting much smarter women and men than me. And so, like, I feel like there's a lot of really great scientists. I feel like this is a systems problem coming from software. Um, I felt like that, that, that's, that you know, we could apply a different model to a biotech company than, than I had seen, not ever building, building biotech. And then I also, you know, I kind of cheated because I had the number one person in the world as right. a co-founder, right? So that did make it easier having George. And then, you know, we pulled together these incredible scientific advisors, you know, like Beth and Luva Dahlin and, and Chris Mason and, and, and many others that kind of helped really shape and bring us into that that community. And, and what was interesting is we've kind of like 
created this network of amazing scientists that, that had known each other, maybe collaborated here or there, but now are kind of like all adding their expertise to this larger problem. Yeah, you mentioned I, when we spoke for the podcast that some, some of them were even detractors or critics. Before. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, yeah, we, we do get negative feedback. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to, you can actually learn a lot more from folks that are negative and, and that, that I like to think of them as informed critics. We occasionally get people, like, we kind of get, like, on the spectrums, you've got some of the Jurassic Park crowd that's just like, yeah, like, absolutely, hell yeah, right. we should just go do this. Uh, because we should do this, right? And then, and then on the other side, you've got people that you know also aren't necessarily uh, that, that don't have like a PhD in genomics. They're like, this is impossible from a genetics perspective. It's like you, know, you work at a museum, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if you have the, the right credentials to, to give us that feedback, right? right? But people that are really thoughtful and people that are really informed that give us that feedback, we take it very, very seriously. And a lot of times, you know, we lean into those people. Some of those have joined our scientific advisory board, or some of those have even joined the company. And I think that's really important because, like I said, you learn a lot more from these informed people that have a really important voice to hear. Because we're not, we haven't done everything right, we're not gonna do everything right, but I think the more transparent and receptive we are to that feedback, uh, hopefully that'll be, a, you know, hopefully we can be a good steward of the vision. Cool. This is a related question to why you, but like why, why do you think you'll stick with this one? Because you're notoriously, <laughs> You've done a I lot of different things. I question a lot, actually. <laughs> Why don't you get bored or, or have a call with somebody else and they'll kind of like say, oh, and by the way, I want to invent uh, moon colonies on Mars or whatever. And you're There's like, lots of people working on that. Right, so, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I kind of found out the swim lane. Um, the, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, uh, I have no intention of leaving Colossal. I mean, we're a year and a half in. <laughs> so uh, I have no intention of leaving Colossal. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that's really important. I, I, I think you know this from my past as I really passionate about climate change. So yeah. I feel like there's enough context switching here that it uh, supports my ADD. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have no reason to leave. There's, there's always something new and weird and interesting to, I have, I have really strange phone calls, not, not just about Pokemon, but I have really interesting <laughs> meetings and calls. Yeah, and you, you also mentioned something when we were talking before about like that this really kind of like, you feel a, pa a passion about this that seems different than perhaps previous ventures, right? Like yeah, I mean, you can always, and people should build software companies. I mean, we, we at Colossal build a software company for right. Bio, right? So you should build software companies. Um, but I felt like I could always go do that, and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, I, I have been guilty in the past of, you know, I'm sure you've, I don't know if you've heard this at TechCrunch, but we're building the software company to change the world. <laughs> I don't know if you've no. heard the, the change No one's the ever world. claimed that before. You've never heard the technology. <laughs> the technology entrepreneurs saying they're gonna change the world. Um, and so it's like, well, when you then get given the opportunity to potentially do it, if we're successful, with you know one of the icons of, of the industry, and you don't take it, then it's kind of hypocrisy, right? right. And so um, I felt like I got presented this really interesting opportunity. We're just coming out of COVID. Everyone kind of like got to stay at their house and watch Netflix. It's like, is this the world I wanna live in? Mm -hmm. Is this what I wanna do with my life? Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll go try this. Nice. So, so, what, so I have no intention of leaving. Well, and so if you're not going to leave, so what does it look like? What, what, do we, can, what can we expect from you in terms of like next steps or announcements or when, does, when do we get to see the first mammoth also? Um, I, know, I think there was a date in the video. but I Yeah, yeah. Know. I think that date was off by a year-ish. <laughs> okay. but, um, but who knows? Um, uh, you know, we, we've made a lot of progress in the last year and a half. That's given our investors and, and, our, and the folks that are around the table a lot of it, they've encouraged us to then expand. 
part of why we've expanded these other species is the progress we've made on the mammoth, right? Mm -hmm. So we have an over 40 person team that's working just on the mammoth. Uh, Colossal itself, you know, now nearly 90 people. We also uh, support uh, 30 postdocs in academic labs. So we have a lot of scientists work on these problems, yeah. right? And, and some of the some of the uh, the milestones that we've made on the on, on the mammoth in in just a short period of time, as well as the thylacine, have given our investors the confidence that maybe you could take on something new like 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 the dodo. Mm -hmm. And so so for us, um, you know, I think that uh, 2028 is our is our goal for the mammoth. I think it's a realistic goal based on where we are today um, uh, for our 1.0 mammoth. Um, but I That's don't... A, yeah, is it a production mammoth or is it... <laughs> yeah, it's production mammoth. It's, okay. it's like, yeah, it's like, it's not, it's not gold master, but it's, it's up there <laughs> for the old school gaming people here, like maybe Garrett. Um, so, uh, but, but, but 2028 is our, is our goal. I, I think that we're on the path for that. If it didn't have a 22 month gestation in elephants, which we are not working, we're not working to accelerate elephant developmental biology. Um, if, I hope George doesn't see this, because if he sees this, he may give him an idea. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have bandwidth to work on that. Um, uh, but, but what's interesting is that some of the other species we're working on, given that they have much shorter gestations, mm -hmm. it's highly likely we could even see one of those before. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, like, the, like the thylacine in the fat cell donor, it's a 13 and a half day gestation. Right. Um, That's, yeah, okay. Yeah, quick so turnaround. Like, yeah, 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 quick turnaround, so, so what, we'll, we'll see. What then do you do like so, you make your first production mammoth, right? And then, the, what, mammoth plural. So we're not making mammoth plural. Any of these species, yeah. So then, what happens? Is it do you set up mammoth world and everybody comes for tickets, or what, like what is? No, the, I, like, our goal that? is is it, every every animal that we work on, we want to reintroduce back into their uh, natural habitat. Mm -hmm. But that's a process. That rewilding process will take you know over a decade. You right. know, and so we, we've started now. That's that's in combination with indigenous people groups private landowners, uh, federal governments, uh, state governments, uh, and then the public at large, right? So we were up in Alaska, we held two different uh, uh, town halls and just invited people to come talk to us, uh, give us their feedback. Uh, we met with indigenous people groups, the second largest Arctic Native Corporation actually invested in Colossal, which was, uh, I think, a testament to the project and what we're working on. Uh, the head of concert, the head of Fish and Wildlife in Alaska actually joined our conservation board, and so we're working very closely with them. Uh, we just got introduced to some folks in Canada, so we're starting those conversations uh, there, and then we've it's also- very personally interesting to me, because <laughs> that's where I'm from. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah well, well, if you could make some- I'll, I'll make some calls yeah, for you, if you yeah. could put I'll in call a, Trudeau, I have a direct a, line. Yeah. Put in a good word or 12. The, um, and so what's interesting is, uh, you know, that process of rewilding has to be very thoughtfully done. It's a very gated process. Mm -hmm. And then you have to like, you know, uh, but that's why we're starting it now, right? Because we're not looking for people to sign off on it. We're working, we're looking for people to be collaborators in it, right? And, yeah. and from day one. And so it, it takes a lot. It, it's, I believe it's on, it's our responsibility to be transparent and educate the public um, when you're doing something this big and bold. Sure. And so we're, we're trying to do that as best we can. Well, it's the other side of world changing, right? Is yeah. You have to prepare the world for the change. Yeah, so. Uh, I think uh, I forgot to do this up top, so I want to do it now. But to make make sure that if you have questions, get the S the South by Southwest Go app, uh, and then you can put the questions in there and interact with us, and they'll come up on the screen here, um, and we'll get to those in a little bit. But a question related to that that I had as you were talking about it is, what do you do? Have you thought about the problem of like poachers or things like that, right? But yeah. So I mean the. Uh, yes, and you know we we've also had we like I said we get lots of strange questions. Um, I, I'm 
predominantly vegetarian. I still eat meat though. And um, uh, we get the can we eat them question. Right. I'm not going to pick on any particular state government. Uh, it was not Alaska because I've been talking about Alaska. It was not Alaska. But uh, I, I do get that question more often than that it's not comforting, but I, I get the can we eat them question. Right. I was like, I feel like we got a lot of shit to eat here. Like, we need to make, we don't need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make new stuff to eat. Uh, but as soon as you do, as soon as you bring that back, a billionaire is going to try to eat that. Back. I mean, we, we, we've had even, yeah, we've had, we've had that feedback. Not, right. not from our current, but, but we've had that feedback, which is, Really strange, and, and my response is, well, they're not, you know, we'd have to go through an FDA process. We have no desire to go through an FDA process. We can't encourage you to eat them. And so, we, so we, we've kind of um, kicked that one way, way down the road because we have no desire to, to, I feel like it's a really weird thing to do uh, uh, to, to bring species back to eat them. But we get those types of questions, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the time. So we need to be really thoughtful about, you know, how to protect them. The poaching and the hunting ones, another issue, right? And so. Um, any uh, of our, our, you know, at, at some point, you know, before you get to, you know, full uh, sustainable breedable populations, you've got to really protect those species, right? Yeah. And so uh, we're working on that. We, we, we have uh, built a uh, biocontained facility for our, already for our first mammoths, yeah. or for our, for our first any species um, uh, that we're not, that's not publicly available, that's under oh, security. like a yeah. secret location. It's not a secret location. It's just we want to we we can't we, we want to make sure. <laughs> well, that, then tell us where it is. No. Yeah, yeah. On Google Maps, um, people will love the way that. Uh, but but fundamentally, we want to ensure that that the animals are best cared for. We want to make sure that they are monitored so that we understand the intended and unintended consequences of bringing them back, right, right and rewilding them. So it's it's just it, what's crazy is there's a, there's almost as much of work going into that. As into the, as just the science. Yeah, like as you're talking about, it, it's just an immense task. Right? Yeah, we have, we have a whole animal husbandry team, right? That just focuses on that, and, and not just. And then we have a separate rewilding team. So we've got these different teams that are just already focusing on this, uh, you know, and assuming success in the science. Right, because you you hear about things like the mosquito gene drive project proposed, yeah. right? And you think about. Uh, it's, it's, there's so much ethical consideration about yeah. what do you do once there, you start there, doing There's definitely ethical considerations, but genetic engineering and synthetic biology, and, and you know, I, I feel like sometimes gene drives get a lot of bad rap, but they could actually be really helpful, yes. right? They could yeah. be massively helpful for delivering them. I mean, you know, the, um, one of the issues that's plaguing Australia is the, um, uh, the feral cat population, right? And so what are your choices? Your choices are you can go out and eradicate cats. I don't think that's probably the hunting cats were not the best idea. Right. I, I think that letting cats run wild uh, th that were introduced as invasive species that kill off and uh, you know all your you know unique marsupials is probably not the right idea. So if you could engineer, if you could create a gene drive where it made let cats live out their natural lives, but then they weren't breedable, I think that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are scared of gene drives, um, uh, but I think it's something that like any of these technologies needs to be very thoughtfully uh, designed, built, and then deployed. Right. Uh, so this is totally unrelated to that, but you, you mentioned that animal husbandry department. So talk me through a little bit of like company organization. Is it like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory in there? Like how do you set up a company think, to do this kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's it's about as weird. Um, it's I think it's as fun, but you know, there it's it, it's not as uh, magical yet. But um, but fundamentally, you know, we, we break every you know we. 
our species leads are almost like product managers. So it, it's, it's very, it, it is kind of set up like a software company, surprise. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, we have product leads that are, are, are essentially our species leads are product leads, so they're like a product manager of the software organization. Then there's cross-functional teams around like embryology, animal husbandry, and computational biology that support the species leads. And then the species leads have their kind of direct engineers, if you will, that are doing all of the uh, engineering work. And then we have weekly meetings that kind of like, uh, that kind of do the knowledge shares of like, is this like single nucleotide editing working versus, you know, this big delivery block of DNA working. Do they have so, demos of the stand-ups? Is it like, <laughs> show me your... There are some demos. Like, it's, it's, it's actually pretty cool. Like, they... Um, Every day uh, or every week that I, I get kind of a progress report on some of these things in our species lead meeting, seeing embryos that are forming and, and watching how they're doing somatic cell nuclear transfer and, and moving cell and, and moving embryos, uh, even intraspecies, it's just super fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's amazing. But what's crazy is like when people come see the lab, uh, they're like, wow, you have a lot going on. But you, you have to have the whole system uh, to be successful, right? If we just did one piece of it, then you'd be like, you know, then you let all those people go and then start over and like it, you'd have to start over like 12 times versus right. just build the infrastructure. So for you as a CEO, does it feel like when you were running a software company in some ways? It or feels like a software company. Um, you know, uh, there's lots, of, there's different personalities in science. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Are they <laughs> than in, more difficult? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that engineers, uh, traditional software and technology engineers are very smart and sometimes you get the what comes with that, I feel like scientists are also very smart. Right. <laughs> okay, leave it there. We're very, we're very lucky to have all of them and we're grateful to them. Um, okay, so just then uh, sort of some more fun questions, but what, what if you had Dream Animal, what would you bring back? Have you uh, thought about this a lot? Besides the, the mammoth? Well, th this is that your top choice of all? Yeah, out of, out of everything, it, it really is my, my top choice. There was a giant beaver Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is really Canadian. Funny. I know. I yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think it's beaver. really funny. I, I think a giant beaver would be fun and weird and interesting. There was a giant armadillo that was cool. A yeah. lot of people ping us about the giant, uh, the the giant ground sloth. Um, I don't know if any of these things are possible. We're not exploring them. I'm just saying that those are things that I think are, are really interesting. I do think that the stellar sea cow would be awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, and that is you know transparently it's something that we have looked into. There's just not a way to adjust it yet. Right. Um, but, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe the beaver, it's kind of fun. Weird. That, it's very fun, yeah. yeah it's a giant beaver. <laughs> it would um, just be interesting to see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it would. Uh, what's the best barbecue here in Austin? Oh, um, uh, probably Franklin's. Oh, okay, nice. I had that this time, it was delicious. Yeah, um, yeah I think we're gonna go to some of these uh, Q&A questions because we got a ton here. Uh, let's go to the top. So what are the risks that the new species, not perfect genetic equivalent, will have characteristics with unintended negative consequences? Oh, we talked a bit about that with the genetics, but is it yeah. a high risk? So, so we're, you know, th this is a similar question that we sometimes get because there's been uh, some media reports of like, oh, the permafrost, they found this virus and it, it could be on Some great science fiction around yeah, this too, yeah. right? So Yeah, great science fiction around it. So we are de-extincting genes, right? So we, we are very thoughtful about it. We're not, sometimes people, some of the feedback we got early on was like, well, if you de-extinct the mammoth, there could be some secret virus. Right, that, a hidden viral payload yeah, but, in there. But we're, we're, we're very, you know, that our geneticists and the technologies have, have, are advanced enough that 
we're, we're de-extincting genes, and, and a lot of times we're just upregulating and downregulating, regulating existing genes. We're just making modifications to existing genes. So um, I think that we can be very mindful around what uh, intended versus unintended consequences come from from uh, uh, the edits. We're also, you know, we, we also do a lot of functional assays and molecular tests. There's a, there's a whole process. You know, we have a whole stem cell reprogramming group that, that has has gotten to uh, induce pluripotent stem cells in elephants, which is really, really hard, mm -hmm. never been done before, um, that, that we've, we've now achieved internally that we're now working to replicate before we start to look at publishing work on it. And um, fundamentally, uh, you know, that will allow us to derive different tissue types so that we can test some of these things mm -hmm. uh, before we go into Goldmaster. <laughs> right. Uh, but it, there's not really a chance that, like, you, you mentioned the genetic similarity with the African elephants? Asian elephants. Asian elephants. So is there, the, could they crossbreed and then produce viable offspring? Yeah, so, so uh, uh, elef uh, African elephants and Asian elephants have even been demonstrated to interbreed. So mammoths and Asian elephants, uh, you know, could have bred. Mm. Uh, and, and remember, what we're engineering is closer to an Asian elephant than, than a mammoth, so uh, they could interbreed, right? Uh, you know, there, there are certain ways uh, around that if, if you want to. Those, those are some of the kind of the more big uh, questions that we're having with conservation groups, you know, given the, the declining number of elephants, by giving them a uh, cold tolerant adaptations where they can, where we can create sustainable populations with genetic diversity up in areas that don't have the same human elephant conflict that mm -hmm. they do in, in Africa and, and in Asia, um, that may be something that we want to do, right? right? So those are the types of conversations that we're having. We can also do things around biocontainment and whatnot that prevent them, which almost creates a subspecies oh. uh, for them. So, so we have some optionality around that in the engineering, uh, and when we're just kind of working through what's the right approach. That's great. So you must just like, you must have every the top people in animal husbandry just like yeah. knocking down your door all the time. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Dr. Wendy Kiso, uh, so two of our two one Dr. Wendy Kiso, she's amazing. Mm. Uh, she came from White Havens, who who uh, rescue did all of the Ringley Brothers rescue of elephants. So they're the largest population of Asian elephants in the United, in the in North America in in Florida. And so we, we hired her. She did all of that work, which is incredible. And uh, we we also get to work with. Uh, Dr. Tom, uh, Thomas Hildebrandt, he does all of the biorescue work on the northern white rhinos that you know, are functionally extinct at this point. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. We, recruiting is not, uh, you know, not, a problem. Not, not our issue. Yeah, it's, <laughs> from a synthetic biology, if your choice is to work on yeast or uh, extinct animals, <laughs> we win. <laughs> so we win, we win that, that fight most times, which is which, well, not to, I don't need yeast. Working on yeast is great. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you do you that, yeast, thank please you. Yeah. don't. Message me about that you hate me because I said something <laughs> negative about you. You're gonna get you're gonna get at replies. Yeah, yeah, I get stuff. Uh, another question here from anonymous: Is there any research being done on how the extinction of those species has altered the ecosystem, and how that can be reversed, and if it's even preferable? Yeah, so we so we're doing that right now. So there are published papers, uh, specifically in Arctic rewilding, which is really interesting. Uh, there are public. Uh, we are we are working on a, a paper right now on tropic downgrading uh, with the thylacine. So what is the reintroduction of that keystone species back into, um, uh, back into the wild look like? Mm -hmm. uh, we have not started any work yet on, on uh, the dodo. The dodo is more of a, uh, extra, it's, it's less of the impact of the dodo going back into the environment, and it's more about using the dodo as an excuse to, uh, to 
rid the, some of the uh, Mauritius and some of the neighboring islands or un-Mauritius uh, from the invasive species that actually right. took them out, right? So, so it's a different kind of benefit to the ecosystem. So there are published papers on many of these topics, which I encourage you all to read. But then separately, uh, we are working on a couple um, right now with kind of our own uh, funded research. Cool. Yeah. And, one, field, and field work, which is kind of crazy. The next one here also about intent negative consequence. I feel like you answered at the top, so I'm going to skip that one there. But I'm going to go to uh, one from Eric Wanning here, who is, could the ability to revive extinct species lead to, no, well, <laughs> leads even more destructive behavior. This is clearly a theme, so we got yeah. to address it more, because I like his example. No, it's, a, it's a great one. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, well. Who cares if whales go extinct? We'll everyone should care if whales go extinct, because if whales go extinct, the warming oceans, we probably all die. Right. So everyone should definitely care about that. But that's an interesting theory that we, we could become callous and then just be like, well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, and, and by the way, I do not think that colossal is uh, the solution to the biodiversity crisis. Right. I think that colossal is bringing attention to the biodiversity crisis and we're developing tools that are going into the hands of conservationists mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that we're giving to them for free and subsidizing some, and even subsidizing cases that, that are really, really important. Like these incredible you know, people that are on the front line doing this great work and sometimes putting their lives in danger for this work, they're massively undercapitalized. Yes. They, they yeah. don't have the money uh, to even do what they're currently doing, let alone develop new technologies. And we know with what they're currently doing, uh, while it works, it doesn't work at the scale and function that humanity destroys an environment or changes the environment, right? right? And so, so we've got to adapt better tools um, for that. And so investments have to go into it. And it just hasn't been flooding into it. Mm -hmm. And so, so uh, you know, if anything, I think that we tried to do a, a good job of, of, of talking about biodiversity and, and bringing this, this issue to the the forefront. I just did a big thing with the World Economic Forum and, and released a big paper on, uh, on, on the, the six maths extinction that we are currently in and, and how these technologies can help. So we're trying to evangelize that mm -hmm. and, and, and our, I think our partners in conservation are doing a good job bringing it to people's attention. But, but you know, this does not replace existing conservation. Right. Existing conservation is absolutely critical. We just want to help them. Yeah, so you bring up something here about like, that you know, those, those things have traditionally been starved of funding necessarily, yeah. right? Or, uh, but like, what about the criticism that you are adding to that by, you know, people are funding you now and maybe not funding something that is potentially more practical or more... I think that everybody that wants to fund, and, and a lot of times we get feedback saying, can we buy colossal stock from like some random person? Yeah. And our advice is the best thing that, no, the answer is no, but the, the best advice that you can, or the best thing you can do is go support one of our conservation partners. So we actually draw, like, all the links on our site, click, go straight, click straight through to the donate of that because it's the number one thing people can do. Um, I like to sometimes say that, you know, we didn't go to the Gates Foundation and all these different people that uh, are giving money to conservation. Mm -hmm. We didn't take money away from conservation. We brought new money to conservation. Right. I'd argue there's one less shitty software company in the world because we exist, right? right. And so, um, you know, that's making, not that there's anything wrong with software, <laughs> but, but, but fundamentally, uh, you know, we, you know, we brought new eyes to it. We brought, uh, we're trying to bring the awareness to it, but then we're also uh, bringing new money to it. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't know if every single company, you know, like if I, I've been asked the question before, like why didn't, why don't you just go raise money for, um, you know, a, a elephant or rhino conservation? 
I don't know if I can do that. That doesn't mean there's not incredible people that can go do that. They should do that. Right. That's just not my skill set. So this is what we are doing, and we want to collaborate and get as much feedback as possible. Um, but people still need to support these existing causes. Yeah. No, I think that makes a ton of sense, right? It's not like there is a set global budget out there yeah. for dollars that go into conservation. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think at scale, you know, one of our internal goals is we would like to be the largest single donator, not just of technology, but of money to conservation mm. once, we hit, once we hit the scale that we think we can hit. Right. Once you start selling yeah. mammoths for $10 million a head? Or? There's not a ticket price on <laughs> private ownership of mammoths. Okay. Uh, I, I did get those questions recently, though, <laughs> with some of the world travels we had, so yeah. Okay. Uh, here's a question from Jason Delborn. Uh, how does this strategy create the genetic diversity that would be necessary for a successful reproducing population? That's a great That's a great question, yeah. And so um, it's, it's different per species, right? And so uh, in some case, you have lots of prefer, uh, preserved uh, samples. Um, not to continually pick on Beth, but uh, one of the main technologies that Beth Shapiro and, and her husband developed was technologies around uh, getting great DNA out of hair. Mm. And so like with the thylacine, there's one miracle pup, right? So there was like, yeah, we, we as humanity and really Andrew Pass got lucky and got a 91% complete genome mm. on the first read. That's highly, that, that's rare for a lot of things, specifically ancient DNA. Um, but what's interesting is there's 200 plus pelt samples that we've identified. Mm. And so we can actually take those individual pelts Use some of the technology that Beth Shapiro and, her, and, and Ed uh, developed, and then you and, and actually kind of understand po to do population genetic studies, right? right. Uh, so that we can then engineer in that that genetic diversity, right? And then at some once you get to the right sizable populations, then they can interbreed, and, and, and you're fine. We're doing the same thing with mammoths. So, uh, so we worked with 54 mammoth genomes. 44 of those came from Lou Vidalin from the University of Stockholm, and he's and he's been wonderful to work with. And we just funded a project. Uh, with the University of, of Alaska Fairbanks and uh, with the University of Stockholm to actually uh, uh, sequence uh, and do carbon, radiocarbon dating on Alaskan mammoths because most of the work's been done on Siberian mammoths. There's mm -hmm. not a ton of work that's been done on Alaska. There's not nearly as much that's been done on Alaskan mammoths. And so we've got all, they've got all these samples. We're doing the radiocarbon dating so that we can pair that understanding uh, you know, uh, their flow and their migration patterns, also coupled with some of the genetic diversity that we hopefully get uh, from that sequencing, right? And so, uh, and we and we've we've, we've uh, agreed to do 200 mammoths, right? Wow. And so, so we're, we are constantly trying to uh, push uh, that. And so, that's not for us to get to our successful first herd. That's that's to really start to build uh, our understanding of population genomics uh, for uh, genetic diversity engineering. Yeah. So, when you get to, do you know what the magic number is for when they can start reproducing on their own? I, I don't. Someone on our team that's much smarter than me probably does. And it, so. but does it differ? It's more than species one species, or. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll, I'll follow up with you. It's definitely more than one. Uh, this is another <laughs> another nightmare situation question here. How far can you deviate from the genetic code of an animal before you go into a Jurassic Park-esque situation? Is there any way to know? I mean, you've outlined some of the measures you're taking I mean, already. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think that that you know where uh, you know we we can't we as humanity aren't at the place that we can engineer a full complete genome of something, right? And so that's why you can't do a full cloning of like extinct animals or whatnot. But at the same time, I think that you can engineer in, uh, you know, what, like, for us to do the amount of, of engineering that we are doing on these animals is a lot. Mm -hmm. So the idea to do uh, significantly more than that would just take a lot of time, take a lot of money. Uh, I don't understand, I don't know what the cost benefit analysis 
would be, right, to get to kind of that state. Right. Um, but it, it would just take a lot of effort to get past just, so we, we, are very, we, we are in the business of thinking about, okay, what is the minimal number of edits that we can yeah, make? Right. Not the maximal number of edits, right? Because that, that, that's you know, a trillion dollars. And so we're trying to be very thoughtful about narrowing it down uh, so that we're kind of doing the things that have the most impact to our phenotypes and, our, and, our eco, and, and filling that ecological void versus just engineering for fun. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's your Pokemon question. Right, and the, the answer well, is it's capital. Well, it's a scarier version of your Like Pokemon. a capital efficiency limit kind yeah. of prevents you from building the... Yeah, I mean, we're just trying to be pragmatic, right? right it's like, right. Let's, let's get here and then reevaluate. Right. Uh, what kind of regulatory oversight do you anticipate? You probably are already talking to regulators. Yeah, so we get... Uh, we get a lot of questions around this, and, and you know we've been very transparent about this. But you know one of our investors is InQtel, which has a government affiliation, and uh, and so we work very closely with the federal government. We work very closely uh, with Fish and Wildlife and some of the other you know groups that kind of oversee this. Uh, the the two big areas are uh, long term rewilding. You have to work with the uh, into public lands. You really have to work with EPA or EPA equivalents in other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, you know you should. In, you should work with all the people I mentioned earlier, right? With the, the private landowners and, and digital Indigenous groups, in other words. But but you have to work with them. And then and then also, if you wanted to go, this is the question. We are never going to do this, but this was the question. If you wanted to go in to produce animals for hum for encouraged human consumption, you have to go through an FDA regulated yeah, process, of course, right. which is not something that we're interested in. Right. And you're also not. I asked you this before, but just so this whole audience can hear this, you're not building battle mammoths. No, no, we're not building battle mammoths at all. So <laughs> that's not on the roadmap. Okay. <laughs> we're building the fluffier, nicer ones. The friendly yeah. ones. So no battle mammoths in our current future. <laughs> that came up with the Incutel question. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I don't this know if Incutel or their clients would want like bigger, robust <laughs> animals. Yeah, they want secret, stealthy little animals, right? <laughs> so we're making micro mammoths. <laughs> don't say it's, that. Either. No, we're not really making micro mammoths. Yeah, uh, elephants never forget, so they're. <laughs> this question is from, uh, sorry if I mispronounced this, Mehalani Kauai. Uh, this year, approximately four species of native Hawaiian honeycreepers will become extinct in the wild. How could this tech prevent extinction? Well, we don't have any way to clone birds currently. Mm -hmm. So, so some Axel nucleotransfer doesn't work. There's not enough money going into bird conservation and genetic rescue around birds, right? And so one of the things that uh, I think that we've been thoughtful about uh, is uh, when we decided to take this on, a fundamental area that, that we have to, that we as Colossal, and we have to solve it for the success of the Dodo, we also have to uh, solve it, you know, as humanity, it is creating alternatives to being able to clone or engineer birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now there's a process that, that we're going to attempt, which is editing what's called primordial germ cells or PGCs, mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, but, but just cultivating those could take a month, could take five years, uh, Mike McGrew, who's one of our, uh, from the Roslyn Institute, who's one of our scientific advisors, has successfully done this in chickens. Um, and so he's helping us on the PGC and, and on, the, on the conservation aspect. He's not actively working on the Dodo project. But what's really interesting is we really have to get that right and, replicable, and re re uh, replicatable for um, pigeons so that we can apply it to other birds. Oh, okay. Great. Uh, William Flynn. But, but that's something that then we'll give the world that knowledge. Yeah, right, because right? we'll you, as you science mentioned. science on it, we're just gonna give that world knowledge, yeah. Now what is, actually, related to that, so what, how do you do that decision making about like this is beneficial to conservation and, you, and then therefore should be made well, free? Well, I mean, we, we've, got, we've got a whole conservation advisory board, mm -hmm. top tier conservation 
for, con for conservationists all over the world. We've got a lot of great scientists who are on our scientific advisor board that do a lot in conservation, mm -hmm. right? And so we kind of get that natural feedback. Uh, and then we have the partners, right? And so um, we, we do briefings quarterly with all those groups of what we're working on. And then we take that feedback. We have our own ideas, right? From our, it's yep. mostly stemming from our animal husbandry group. But, um, but when we get those uh, ideas, uh, from our, from when we share our, our progress with our with our uh, advisory boards, a lot of times they say, "Oh, this would be really helpful." So it's kind of like a technology buffet that they can select from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a it's a little bit more systematic than that. So, yeah, uh, can't go back twice. Right. William Flanagan asks, "Have you developed viable wild population estimates for the three species?" Oh, this is what I asked, and the answer was more than one. Oh yeah, but more than one. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so we have people working on this right yeah. now. Uh, and what's great is like one of our partners, Rewild, which is Leonardo DiCaprio is one of his foundations. Uh, we worked very closely with them and their entire premise of their nonprofit is the reintroduction of species back into the wild, yeah. right? And so that's like 90% of what they do. So they also do a really good job of working with small populations of animals. We're currently working with them and the Indonesian government on the Sumatran rhino. So it's mm. not, Sumatran rhino isn't quite in the shape of the, the northern white rhinos where there's only functionally two left. They're functionally extinct with only two left. Uh, but you know, there's sub 40 left in, 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 uh, in, in Indonesia. And so how can some of these genetic rescue technologies apply to them? And, and then at what point does that, does that population collapse because you just don't have genetic diversity? And so, um, you know, we, we rely heavily on our partners for those types of questions. Right, but there are people who are expert in that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're devote their, like, I don't think we will ever be the perfect rewilding, like, I don't think Colossal's rewilding team will be the ones that are out there, you know, working with uh, mammoths back into the field, right? Mm -hmm. I think we will work and rely on much smarter partners that have done this for 50 years. Right. And, and, and so that's, that kind of like network and, and, and kind of transparency and collaboration, I think is fundamentally key to our success. Do you ever anticipate you're at the scale where you start building an ecosystem around you of companies that can handle various parts of this? I think that most likely the colossal ecosystem that could, could arise is, you know, they'll have spinoffs that are more directly related to human healthcare. Um, you know, we have started, get, we've got a lot of requests for a category that I'll call directed evolution, right? Where we've got people that are like working on coral. They're like, you know, you have all of the people in, in technologies and infrastructure to, to work on this coral restoration project. And so we're not currently doing that. It's something that we've talked about exploring. So I do think over time there could be some type of colossal ecosystems around that, but I think those are gonna be, um, you know, uh, choices of where to collaborate that either add value, either help combat climate change uh, or help, um, you know, advance uh, some of the work in biodiversity. So I think we'll be pretty thoughtful. Everything else, I think we either we won't do, or if it has application to human healthcare, we'll spin it out and right. have someone else do it. Uh, so Mar uh, Marcita Mesti asks, my son is 12. He's in his fourth year of Python programming. He wants to direct movies now, but he's fascinated with your work. What should he study to work with you? Uh, genetics. I, I think that, you know, it, well, we're such a cross-functional team. I think, you know, if you have a passion for it, you could probably, you know, do anything. But I, I think that the, the field of synthetic biology is going to be one that I would highly, highly um, encourage. Because whether it's movies, you know, I think it'll open your eyes to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that it could have meaningful impact on this. For sure. Uh, Fernanda Romano asks, have you considered looking into plants and bacteria that have gone extinct? So we've, we, we do have a group that has approached us around uh, uh, directed evolution around a, a couple of microbes that could be 
beneficial to combating climate change. Uh, we are not working on that currently. Uh, we are not working on um, uh, any microbes or plants. It's a different set of teams and, and skill sets. There's other great companies out there that really specialize on it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there could be opportunities for us to collaborate uh, if it really fits in our wheelhouse, but, but we're not building those capabilities. We're not actively building those capabilities at this time. Okay. Do, do you think they would have a, ma a major kind of like impact in terms of conservation efforts or? I mean, you're seeing lots of really great stuff, right? Like I've seen some really interesting plastic degradation work mm -hmm, you know, right. where, uh, you know, uh, microbes naturally break down plastics. I've, I've seen some really interesting work around uh, genetic modification of plants for carbon sequestration. Like, so I think there's a lot of interesting technologies that uh, are kind of like, or, or I'd say climate uh, change combating technologies that are coming from synthetic biology. Mm -hmm. and I, th I think synthetic biology can play a major role in, in combating climate change. Okay. Uh, this is another, I'm going to skip the first one here just because we've already kind of answered it a bunch of times. Uh, but I, this one's interesting for the last couple of minutes we have here. Luis uh, Felipe Caetano asks, can you walk us through the exact process of a de-extinction? So do you impregnate a regular elephant with the mammoth DNA so a mammoth is born or what are the steps? Yeah, so uh, this is the super non-technical, because I'm not a scientist, um, but uh, this, is, uh, this is the high-level process. So you have to be able to assemble enough DNA of the extinct species uh, to build a reference or close to reference genome. You then, uh, you then have to do the sequencing and build a reference genome for uh, its closest phylogenetic relative, in the case of the mammoth, that's the Asian elephant. Once you do that, you do comparative genomics to understand where are the differences? Like, what, what makes a mammoth a mammoth versus an Asian elephant? And once, uh, once you have your kind of complete gene list, you can look at, do literature reviews, functional assays, and a myriad of different tests, start isolating what those genes do and how they apply. And so then once you have that gene list, you use a combination of tools from single nucleotide editing, so editing the individual rung of the uh, twisted little ladder that mm -hmm. is us. Um, and then, uh, or uh, uh, bigger opportunities like actually synthesizing and actually creating big blocks of DNA and, and swapping it in, or even just like knockouts with like CRISPR-Cas9. And so there, there's kind of a myriad of different tools. We kind of use all of them because our engineering projects are, are complex, and so we kind of need all of them in each one of our, our, our projects. And then once you get there, once you get that edited cell, you do all of this in somatic cells. You then go through a process uh, called somatic cell nuclear transfer or cloning, mm -hmm. uh, where you take the nucleus of that and put it into that of a germ cell. And then your choice is, you, it's kind of a choose your own adventure at that point. You can either go the surrogacy route, so all of the species that we're working on, surrogacies are viable options. Uh, um, but we also have a 17-person team that's working on ex utero development mm. or artificial wombs. And so our long-term hope is that's part of this de-extinction toolkit that we can use to um, you know, uh, uh, you know, give to conservationists where, in the case of the northern white rhino, they could grow 20 of them in, in a lab. Right. And then work with, you know, incredible rewilding partners to put them back into the, uh, to rewild them back with, you know, all the animal husbandry and, you know, mothers and everything that they have to do. And then once they come to term, it's just sort of taking care of a... It's just taking care of them, yeah. yeah. All right, Ben, I think that about does it for time, uh, but I'm going to... Do you want to give me the exclusive on the mammoth when the first one you get? You're gonna, you're gonna promise me that, we, right? <laughs> we, we love TechCrunch, and we will always uh, bring interesting innovations to you. Okay, That's great non-answer. Thanks very much, Ben. Really appreciate you being here.